Thanks, Rachel. Uh, good evening and welcome to Uni Church. My name is Rowan, one of the pastors here. So great to see you as we come together uh, to hear what God has to say. Really, the, the high point of the service is listening to that part of God's Word that we've just read and remembering that this is God speaking to us. This has been written by God the Son. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are about Jesus, what, what's brought you along here tonight, uh, but I thought it'd be great now to pray and ask God, no matter what you think of Him or Jesus or the work of His Spirit, to help us to understand what is on view tonight. Because I think what is on view in this passage is so important for us to understand that it changes the way we view everything. Why don't we pray together? Father God, as we have just heard your word, we ask that tonight that by your spirit, you would help us to see the world as you see it, to see time as you see it. And that tonight, you might capture us up in what you are saying and show us what that means for the way that we live. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you've got an outline in front of you, it'd be great to bring that out uh, and help you kind of just know where we're at. We get a little bit complex at one bit in this passage. Uh, it might help you to get through as we go. Well, there are certain moments in life that almost always bring clarity for those that experience them. I don't know how many of you are parents, uh, but the moment that a child is born is a moment that for the parent changes the rest of their life. It gives a sort of clarity about what matters matter, perspective in life. You're like, what have I done? <laughs> There's a child in the world and it's my fault. Like, what am I going to do right now? And you start thinking through life and how this works and what you're going to do for the rest of your life with this child that you now have and want to bring along. There are moments in life that bring clarity. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, it's not really that applicable to me. I haven't experienced that. I want to say you have, just from the other end, the other angle, right? You were born. And the day you were born gives clarity to your life. And the day you were born really chooses who would be in your year at school. It chooses the political and cultural context that we're born into, and it shapes and molds the way we think and the choices that we make. The day we are born has really a, a moment that helps us to have clarity and perspective about life. But there are other moments that bring clarity and perspective in life as well, both positive and negative. Uh, some of those moments bring joy. You might have experienced some of them. You know, the, the, the idea of traveling the globe and looking at the wonders of the world, and you just kind of get a sense, you know, as, as you looked at these great wonders of the world, of, wow, this world is big. And you kind of get a sense of perspective and clarity on life. Or maybe for you, it was the moment that you grasped that two times infinity was bigger than infinity. And you're like, whoa, is that possible? I don't know, maybe for you, that's tonight. You're going, really? <laughs> yes, it's true, <laughs> right? And that kind of changed the way that you thought about life and you went, I'm going to be a, a mathematician and off you went in that day. Or maybe for you, it was the day the penny finally dropped, that the guy or girl that you liked as a friend maybe might be the one you want to marry and the world changes. And suddenly you see things with a bit of clarity or disillusion, depending on what her or his answer is. <laughs> Some moments of clarity come wrapped in joy, don't they? And they give us a perspective on life that helps us to understand the world around us. But other moments of clarity come wrapped in pain. The death of a family member pushes us to think what matters about this life, the, the loss of a job, the life-threatening news of sickness. Pain and suffering, almost more acutely than joy, bring a certain clarity to life when the trimmings 
of life that seemed so important before don't seem to matter anymore. The things that used to enthrall us are put in their proper place by our situation and circumstance. And missing the significance of those moments is tragic, isn't it? Imagine the uni student who doesn't bother to check their exam timetable four years in a row and misses the exam. Mind you, it's the same exam because they miss it every year. Like, why didn't you get the clarity that you should have got from that pain of sitting that exam? Why would you do that? You can tell me later. The father who misses the birth of his son because he's on a work call in the waiting room. You're like, dude, what what is going on with you? The cancer sufferer who refuses to listen to the warning signs and so misses an opportunity to do something when she had the chance. Forever regrets it. Well, it's my hope that tonight as we hear Jesus' words, that we notice a moment in history that brings clarity and perspective. Not only for those who heard it in the first century, but for you and me sitting here tonight. I want to put it to you that if what Jesus says in this passage is right, then the implications of what he is saying are greater than any other news you will ever hear. If what Jesus is saying tonight is true, then the implications of what he is saying are greater than any other news you will ever hear. Now, I said if deliberately, if what Jesus said is right. You might not be convinced that what Jesus says is right, and that's okay. Uh, we want people to be coming along and, and taking Jesus and seeing what he says and seeing if it matches with kind of history and what's going on in the world. We love you being here to ask those questions. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Keep asking those questions. But I want you to see tonight that if he is right, these words that he said, then the implications are huge. And he's certainly someone worth checking out if we can trust. The question for all of us is, whose clarity on the future do we trust the most? Whose perspective of the future do we trust the most? Do we let shape our lives and how we live? Who do you trust? As we get into Luke chapter 21, Jesus has a certain clarity about him in this moment, a perspective that brings into sharp focus what I think is the purpose of life and the things we need to understand. Those around him don't know it, not fully, but Jesus is just three days away from his death, where he'd be pinned to a Roman cross and die. His perspective is razor sharp because he knows what's happening. He's told the others around that it would happen and he knows when it is. And he has this clear and razor-sharp perspective and clarity about what matters matter. He's just come into Jerusalem, the kind of center of the Jews' world, and he's standing in one of the first century wonders. You know, those clarity-giving moments where you see the seven wonders of the world. The Jerusalem temple was a temple like none other. They were standing before this temple that was the pride and joy of the Jews, the spiritual home of the nation, The foundation stones of this temple were said to be over 100 ton each. That's 50 cars. How do they move? Like, that's that's huge. This thing was was massive, 16 stories high, gold-plated doors and tapestry and kind of all sorts of wonderful stones. It was like an amazing view. Being there and, and, and seeing that sight would have been one of those highlight moments of life, like standing and looking at the Taj Mahal or the Great Wall of China and thinking, this is just amazing. It makes me think, what have I done with my life? Not much. (laughs) Built a wall. Look with me from verse 5 and see how Jesus turns this moment on its head. 
Luke 21, verse 5. And some were talking about the temple complex, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. Jesus said, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. You're like, oh, well, he's a happy chap. What is this? They're standing there and thinking, look at this. This is amazing. And Jesus is like, oh, no, this is all going to go to custard. And if we're honest, no one likes a downer, right? You've been at a party and that, that's that naysayer. He's like, oh, don't dance like that. You're going to trip over and hurt yourself. You're like, shut up. You know, you just want to get on with life and you want to be in the moment. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy life and its perks. Those around Jesus at this moment thought that they were looking at the, one of the, the greatest wonders of the world. But Jesus wants to focus their attention on the one thing the world most needs to wonder about. The end. The end. How do you think about your life? How do you work out what you do in life and who you listen to and who you don't? What things take up your energy and time and focus? How do you think about your life? Those around Jesus at this moment are caught up with the kind of beauty of the temple. They're flapping along going, look at that, a stone. Look at that, a wall. This is great. And, you know, they're kind of like life-defining moments for them. But Jesus is pointing us and them to the fact that there is something much more important to be focusing on. How often do we get distracted with so many things that lead us astray from the things that matter most? For most of us, thinking about the end is something that we avoid. Who who wants to go there? We're so busy trying to get the most out of this life. Who wants to think about the end? It's depressing and distant, hopefully. I don't want to think about that. It's hard enough trying to think about what I'm going to do next week, let alone when the end comes. I have to have a diary if I knew when the end was coming. I have to work out my life and write things down. That sucks. I just want to have fun. I don't know. Is that your experience? And when it comes to questions of the end, let's be honest. Who can really know? How can we know if Jesus has got the right view or not? Who can we trust? And so we live our lives by the mantra of maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. Don't we? We want the most out of life. I want the least pain out of life. We, We trust our own view of life and what matters matter. What things capture us. But if what Jesus says is right in this passage, the implications of what he's saying are greater than any news you will ever hear. I want to put it to you tonight that what is before us today here in this passage is a moment of clarity like none other you will ever have. It's the warning you don't want to miss. It's the diagnosis you don't want to disregard. It's the alarm you don't want to ignore. See, in life, lots of things go wrong. Lots of mistakes happen. You make a bad investment. You lose your money. You you, you give money to a friend who's untrustworthy. You lose that. You have bad study habits. What happens? You fail papers. But if you get this issue wrong, the issue of the end, you regret it forever. Jesus, three days before his death, lays out with absolute clarity that there is an end coming. It is certainly coming, and it is coming to all who live on the face of the earth. That's what he's saying. Now, again, when I hear that, 
There's part of me, the skeptic in me, that rises up and going, why should I listen to this guy? Like maybe he's just one of those crackpots that you meet on, on Queen Street. You know the ones, they've always got beards. I don't know why they've got beards, but they look unkempt. And they've got like a, a kind of board on the front and the back, and it says, the end is nigh. Have you ever met anyone like that? Walking around, the end is coming. And they kind of, they always kind of look like they smell bad or something, but they're kind of like these weirdos. And it sounds like Jesus is some sort of weirdo here. What makes him any different? from any other crackpot on the face of the planet. Why do we trust him? Well, when Jesus talks about the end, he talks about really three ends. And we'll see that some of these ends help us to work out how we can trust him. Uh, Lots of people find this part of Luke's gospel kind of hard to work out exactly what's going on. I'm one of those people. You get to this passage, you're like, when's he talking about what and what's going on in front of us? There seems to be multiple ends in front of him. And that's because he's not just talking about one end, but I think three. I want to show you what those three ends are. The thing that he's saying is very clear. The end will come. The end will come. But the first end that we see is the end of the temple in Jerusalem. Look with me at verse 20 of chapter 21. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. Those who are in the country must not enter it because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus is saying that the first end that is in view for us as he talks about this moment with clarity is the end of the Jerusalem temple. The crown jewel of the Jews will fall. Now, you've got to understand how important this is to the Jews. Uh, The temple was the place where they met with God, where God met with them. God dwelt, uh, according to them, in in the the Holy of Holies, in this place in the center. There was a big curtain that divided the the Holy of Holies from from everyone else because you couldn't go into God's presence or you would die. This was the centerpiece of, of their God being with them. And for Jesus to say that that temple would just fall down, and would crumble and that the, the Jews would be trampled by the Gentiles and would be killed and taken off. It's kind of like, this is an end to Israel almost. Jesus is saying that that temple will fall. The end of the temple and a whole regime, a whole way of thinking is about to happen. And it's about to happen soon. In verse 32, he says this, I assure you, Luke Uh, Chapter 21, verse 32. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Now, lots of people get tripped up by this verse because they think he's talking about the other ends that are in view that we'll see in a moment. But he's not. He's talking here about the end of the temple, the demolishing of the temple. Uh, And what we find out is what Jesus said happened in AD 70. What he said would happen... Well before that, around AD 38-ish, you know, five, somewhere around then, what what he said would happen, happened. In AD 68, uh, there was an uprising against Jerusalem. And in AD 70, the temple fell down. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. When, When Titus stormed Jerusalem, he laid siege to the city. 
Uh, Josephus, the, the, the historian, the Jewish historian, tells us it was so horrific, the siege of this city, that people went without food for so long that mothers started cooking their own children and eating them. They tell us that, that people were, were killed and slain on the streets, that they lined the streets with crucifixes and crucified hundreds upon hundreds of people. This siege was all-encompassing. It was a complete wipeout, washout of this nation called Israel. Apparently, the Jews would eat their treasure. They would eat their money and put it in their mouth so they could escape and people wouldn't take it off them. And when the Romans found out about that, they started ripping them open. So they could just take out the money that was there and letting people die in the street. The stench, it was horrible. Just as Jesus said. Let me read you a quote from Josephus about the temple. This is his kind of looking back over what happened and what it looks like now. Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no ground for believing it had ever been inhabited. The temple was smashed. The Jews were smashed. Jesus foretold an end, and that end came in that very generation. But it wasn't the only end that was on view. There was another end that was on view that Jesus is talking about. In fact, as he talks about this moment, it's like he's, he's talking about a number of ends at once. I was trying to think of what it's like to kind of do this before I tell you what that next end is. And I think it's kind of like New Year's Eve. Right? Hear me out. So at New Year's Eve, we get this great joy of letting off fireworks. Right? Who, who's a firework letter offerer? Can I, can I see that? Oh, so I'm from Australia. We're not allowed to do that. So one of the whole reasons we moved to New Zealand was just so I could let off fireworks. How great is it? You buy them at Guy Fawkes, you've got them for like New Year's, you can let them off and so get our kids around. And when I was a kid, we used to have fireworks nights when it was allowed. But you know, growing up, not at all. Now, oh, the smell of pyrotechnics. I don't know. I love it. And so we're standing in our driveway, New Year's Eve, we're letting some like kind of fireworks off. There's some pops and things going off in front of us and it's nice and the kids are like, ooh. But then, you know, you've got those neighbors in the street or the next street and they've always got better fireworks than you. They always kind of burn more money, Right. And, and so as yours are going off, you kind of look up and there's like a poof, and you're like, show off. <laughs> and it just keeps going and you're like, look at their fireworks. This is kind of like what's happening right now. There's a number of sets of fireworks going on. And, and Jesus here is showing us that there's an end coming and an end is the end of Jerusalem, of the temple. But there's a greater end, a bigger end, a, a bigger firework than the one that's in front of us that we're looking through to see. It's the final end. It's the end of everything. Look with me at verse 25. Then there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. There'll be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring sea and waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Or verse 35, for that day will come on all who live on the face of the earth. Jesus, with his moment of clarity, is saying to us, to those that are gathered there, to people that are kind of just drawn along by the pleasures of life, wake up. Not only will the temple fall down, but the end of the world is coming. Now, if that's true, and he is someone that we can trust about this view, and remember, he, he's just 
shown us that he knows and can predict what will happen with Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple falling, he is someone that's worthy of our trust, then we need to take seriously his claim that the end of all things is coming, that there is an end. That the world won't just keep ticking on like we think it will, going round in its cycles. That there will be a point where God says enough and that will be enough. It will concern not just a small group of people in some area near Palestine, but it will concern the whole world. All who live on the face of the earth will experience that. You can't miss it. It will be clear the end of the world is coming. Does that affect your life? Do you ever think through what matters? What comes after death? Why are we here? The perspective of Jesus' look at the end helps us to understand what we are here for and what matters matter. And I think the reason that he's showing us multiple ends at once is so that we'll trust him. He's pointing out the reality of the fall of the temple so that we might trust him about the end. But I think there's also another end in view. Now, some people will disagree with this, but I think as we come through, it's worth recognizing this third end. The third end that he's speaking about is the end of his earthly life. See, at this moment, Jesus is standing three days before his death. He's deliberately entered Jerusalem knowing he must die. A couple of days earlier, he told those following with him that he knew he would die. Uh, Look at uh, Luke 18.31. Luke 18.31. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he'll be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, insulted, spat on. And after they flog him, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. See, Jesus knew his end was coming. He had told those around him. Again, he is giving confidence that he is one we can trust. He knows the future because he sets the future. Who do you trust in your view of the future? Come with me to Acts. Maybe not. (laughs) Come with me to Acts chapter 1. Because there I want to try and pull some things together about Jesus' death and what's happening that hopefully we'll we'll understand and see all these ends coming together in one thread. So, come with me. If I lose you in this bit, that's okay. We'll come back together in a second and we'll we'll be all right. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Here Luke records the last words of Jesus. So when they'd come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? At this point, Jesus has died. He's risen. He's there amongst them. He's about to ascend into heaven, right? And they say, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Are you putting back together what you said would fall down? Are you going to bring this kingdom kind of through? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then after he said this, he was taken up while they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. A cloud, that's important. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into heaven? 
This Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. As Jesus left, there's all sorts of signs like a cloud and a promise of his return that the angels say he is coming back. Now, I want you to hold that in your mind about Jesus' death, his death and resurrection, his ascension, that view. The next chapter in Acts, something happens. Uh, The Holy Spirit is poured out and people are like, what is going on? People are speaking in different languages. There's little bits of fire over people's heads and no one really knows what's happening. And Peter stands up to the crowd and he quotes something the prophet Joel said 800 years earlier. 800 years earlier. Have a look at Acts 2 verse 17. But this is what was spoken about the pro- this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will perform wonders in the sky above. We're hearing wonders now. Miraculous signs on the earth below. Remember, this is written 800 years before Jesus. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 800 years before Jesus walked the earth, Joel wrote those words. Peter now, after Jesus' death and resurrection, says... That's what it was all about, what Joel was pointing forward to, Jesus' life, death, his resurrection. And now the Spirit is being poured out, like Joel said would happen, and there are great wonders and signs that are going on, and everyone's calling on the name of the Lord. What happened when Jesus died? We'll see it in a few weeks as we look at this next little bit of narrative, but what happened when he died is that the signs that were spoken about in Joel, the signs that Jesus pointed forward to, like earthquakes and the sun turning to darkness and the moon to blood, all happened at his death. The moment he died, there was an eclipse. The ground shook. The moon turned to blood. At his resurrection, uh, he was raised from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. How? In the clouds, in the same way that Jesus said would happen in those last days, that the Son of Man would come will go in the clouds. He went into the clouds and the angel said he will come back in that same way. Jesus is pointing about the end of his life because the end of his life points to who he is. And who he is ties together the end of the Jerusalem temple, ties together the end of the world, and it ties together the king that he is. What's this all about? It's all about the identity of Jesus. What's the use of knowing that the end is coming? And having these three ends in view. Well, to understand those, we need to understand this figure called the Son of Man. Once we get to Him, then it all makes sense. Have a look with me from verse 27 in chapter 21 of Luke. Verse 27, chapter 21. Then... Thou will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your head, because your redemption is near. Do you hear the echoes of those prophecies about people turning to the Lord? The echoes of the one who would be raised in the cloud and come back in the cloud? Whoever this Son of Man is, he seems to have some resemblance to what happened when Jesus rose in the cloud and to to what happened at his death. There were 
events that went on, great signs and wonders pointing to who he is. Now, the Son of Man is a name that Jesus used for himself throughout the whole of the book of Luke and the Gospels. He kept referring to himself as the Son of Man. In fact, 26 times in the book of Luke, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. You're like, what's with that? Is that just kind of like some name that he's made up for himself, like Captain America, Son of Man? That's a cool name, right? And you just keep talking about yourself as Captain America, and, and not at all. See, the Son of Man was a figure from Daniel 7. Daniel wrote much earlier, uh, pointing forward to this Son of Man who would come. And to understand what this is all about, we need to understand who the Son of Man is. So flick back with me, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. It'll be on the screen. Uh, or you can look it up in your Bibles and make sure I'm not fudging. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7. And this is kind of apocalyptic writing. What that means is writing about the end times. It's a bit kind of pictorial. So you've got to kind of imagine the picture. Okay? Daniel says this, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And the Ancient of Days isn't just some old dude. Okay? This is God. <laughs> And so the, 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 that's kind of referring to the creator of the universe. And this, this vision, this picture of the end that Daniel's having is of God sitting on his throne in the throne room. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head was like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. <laughs> and its wheels were blazing fire. You're like, cool, his throne's got wheels. Like, A river of fire was flowing, coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was open and the books... So the court was convened and the books were open. What's this picture saying? There is God and he is powerful. He is on his throne and he is in control. And this moment, Daniel has a picture of what this God is doing. Let me get to verse 13. And I saw one like a son of man. There's our word coming in the clouds of heaven. Again, the clouds. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. You're like, what's going to happen? This guy's got fire. What's going on? 14, he was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. Literally should worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The son of man here, this figure is the one who was given all authority. He's the king to rule all kings. He is the Lord over all lords. He is the one that will rule forever into all eternity. He will outlast death. Death will not hold him down. And the people here in this vision of this son of man serve the son of man. They worship him. Now, the problem with that is the only one that the the Jews that we are told we can worship is the true and living God. We shouldn't worship any other God but him alone. This son of man is God himself. God the son. He comes with the clouds of heaven. You've got to think back to the temple. What, What was the temple about? Why did Jesus tell us about the end and the temple falling down. Well, the temple was a place where God met with his people. And throughout the Old Testament, God's presence was symbolized in the temple by a cloud. His presence was there, that he was amongst them. This was God's dwelling place. At the temple, you met God. Here, this Son of Man comes in the cloud, in God's presence. Here is God coming. 
what's going on in this section with these three ends in view is Jesus is tying up so many ideas and promises that God had given throughout Israel's history in showing that he's the one they all point to. It's all about him. He's not just a teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker, even a king. He's not just someone that you might want to listen to. He is the one who is trustworthy. He is the true and living God. He is the one who will rule forever. That's his claim. The whole section that we're looking at is about Jesus' identity and the clarity that gives us about life and death and eternity. It's not a mistake that Matthew's last recorded words of Jesus say this. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the one who is in control of the end, the end of his life and death and resurrection, the end of the temple that would come crumbling down. What was the temple? The place where we met God. Why has the temple fallen down? Well, for a number of reasons. Israel continually rejected God's messengers. They continually rejected God. And in Deuteronomy 28, God promised that um, if you kept rejecting me, I will wipe you out. And that's exactly what God did in AD 70. He took down that temple. He wiped that out because God the Son had come. The Son of Man was there. The, the one who you met, who you, if you met, you would have met God himself. See, when Jesus came, there's no more need for the temple because God the Son is here. The Son of Man is here. That's why Jesus said a few few chapters earlier, if you destroy this temple, in three days I I will raise it up. He's not talking about building a temple on 100 ton bricks and moving them around. He's talking about himself. I am the place you meet God. I am the one who is in control of the future. when Jesus died, what happened? At the end of his life, the curtain that separated mankind from God in the Holy of Holies was torn in two. Access to God the Father was now possible because of Jesus. It's like at Jesus' death, God pulled the plug on the life support system of the temple. The temple was there to point people to God. It was helpful for that time, but now that Jesus had come, there was no more need for it. It was just a ticking time bomb waiting for God to bring down his full judgment. Sure, it might have had a few more beats, but it was not what it once was because its fulfillment, the thing that it was pointing forward to, had arrived. And it was a mark of judgment on people for rejecting the true and living God. Jesus tells us all of these ends, the end of his life that is coming, who he is as the Son of Man, at the end of the temple that was bringing down and the end of the world to recognize that he is coming back as king, he tells us these things so that we might hear the warning. We might see it as a sign, a sign that points to Jesus is the place to meet God. A sign that reminds us to look for his return as the son of man who will rule forever. A sign that helps us to see the world with clarity and perspective of the end. This Son of Man will rule God's kingdom forever. When He died in our place, He dealt with our rebellion against God. He did what the temple could never do. He did what Israel could never do. He became the true Israelite 
so that we might be forgiven and so that we might trust Him and that we might know God and live beyond death. Death was conquered. Life is given. That's why Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, look up for your salvation is near. He is the one that brings life. He is the one we must trust. So what does that perspective of life do for us? How now do we think about trusting Jesus? What does it look like to live in response to what Jesus has just said about the end? Well, three things. The first thing is this. Don't be deceived. As we live waiting for the end, that day we don't know the hour when all things will be done, don't be deceived and think that Jesus has already returned. Have a look with me at verse 8. Luke 21, verse 8. Then he said, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, these things must take place first, but the end won't come right away. For us living in this age, we need to recognize that we are so easily deceived, that people will keep coming and and saying to us, no, uh, the end is near, or this is the most important way to live. They'll claim that they are the Messiah, the promised King. They might not use those words. They might say, come and enjoy the best life now. Come and enjoy what life is like. And, and this is the best way to live. Just live it up. Live however you want. Don't worry about those rules and regulations. Jesus was about love. Come and, I'm telling you, what God has said to me is live the life of love. It's great. And they drag us away from the reality of the God who's made himself clear. Now, there are others that come that kind of sound much like what Jesus said, but they're a little bit off. We call them cults. And this university is, is, this university is full of them. As people going around saying, you know what, just come to Jesus and this will be awesome. And then we start finding out more and more and then we feel these weird ideas they have and, and you're like, hang on a minute. And before you know it, you're kind of, you're down this line where Jesus as the true and living God is not front and center. It's all about this way of living and these laws and keeping these things. And they start saying, if you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. Oh, the Bible kind of says that, doesn't it? If you haven't been circumcised, you're not a Christian. And you're kind of like, doesn't Paul say something about that in Galatians? Hang on, I think this is not right, but they kind of try and take us away. False messiahs will come. Do not be deceived, Jesus says. The greatest threats to believers are not threats from the outside. They're not cataclysmic events, but dangers from within the household of faith. People who sound so close and you'd end up so far. The warning here is don't be deceived. Don't be pulled away from the clarity with which we have God's word and what the apostles said. Come back to God's word in everything. When you think, is Jesus really coming back? Maybe he's come back. Side note, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. They say Jesus has already come back and it was a secret coming back and the end has kind of come. I'm like, well, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Everyone will know about the end. Don't listen to them. Listen to the word of God. Do not follow them. Number one, don't be deceived in this age before the end comes back. Don't be deceived. Number two, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. It's so easy to be discouraged when all sorts of things seemingly go wrong. Let me lay out for you 
what Jesus says it will be like waiting for him to come back. Have a look at 21 verse 10. 21 verse 10. He told them, Nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. There will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. And it will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. Persecutions will come. Life waiting for the end, waiting for the Son of Man to come back will not be easy. Don't believe the lie. There's all sorts of trouble that keep coming through in this. Uh, Look with me from verse 13 of chapter 21. It's not on the screen. Uh, He says, these will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare a a defense ahead of time. Uh, Next verse. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name. I want you to hear the weight of that. (laughs) Don't be discouraged while we wait for Jesus' return. And life is hard. It's so easy to think that the Christian life should be easy, that we can just keep on rocking on and it'll be great and everything will be rosy and we can be like, oh, look at that, isn't that nice? And everything is just great. But Jesus said, for those who follow me, they'll do to you what they did to me. It's crazy to think if we follow him that we'll be treated well. It's crazy to think that the the one that the world crucified, that if we follow him, the world will love it, that we can go out into the world around us and say, hey, you know what? Jesus is awesome. You should come and follow him. And without the spirit of God, they're not going to recognize that. The world hates Christianity. If you find that the world around you is loving the message that you're saying, the question we've got to ask is, are we watering down what Jesus is saying? Or perhaps we're just living with Christians. Never kind of venturing into the world around us. You will be betrayed by brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name. How many stories I hear of people just massively in anguish over their parents' view of them becoming Christians. How do I think through this? This is such a shame on my family. How do I think through this? Is this right? Can I hold on? Can I persevere? Jesus says the end is coming. And you need to get your kind of view of who is in control right. I am the one who made all things. Expect it to be hard. Expect persecutions to be coming. Expect your own family to hate you. That's the reality of the world that he is saying. That is what it will be like. So do not be discouraged. But he does give a promise. Not a hair of your head will be lost. Now, this is not like the anti-balding verse of the Bible. (laughs) Become a Christian, you'll never go bald, right? (laughs) It's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is this. While life is hard, while persecution will most certainly come, God will not allow you to perish. Not a, a hair of your head will be lost in eternity for the son will come back and he will raise our dead bodies for those who trust in him and we will live with him forever not because of what we have done but because of his saving act on the cross dying in our place while life will be hard now look to the end for the son of man will save lift up your heads 
Do not be discouraged. By endurance, gain your lives. Don't be deceived. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. Verse 34. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing and drunkenness and the worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come on all who live on the face of the earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place to stand before the Son of Man. Be on your guard, says Jesus. When you think, oh, it's fine, life's just cruising along. Don't get distracted by the trimmings and trappings of life. Don't let your minds get dulled from carousing, from mucking around, from just living in this world, from from drunkenness and the worries of life. Well, that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. I see it in many of my mates who once trusted Jesus, who said, no, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who's died for me. They get involved with all sorts of things, good things often, with life and kids and marriage and work and Things take them around the world. They experience the sights. They they enjoy life and walk away from Jesus. They walk away from the Son of Man who has come for them. They get overtaken by the worries of life. I can't can't give Jesus my all now. I can't look into this now because I've got exams to kind of get ready for. I've got a career to kind of get, get my life in order for. I've got four houses to buy because mum and dad want me to buy four and that's what it's like. And so I need, to, I need to get moving now and kind of do these things. I've got to honor them. That day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. Do not be distracted. Do not lift your eyes from the reality of the end that Jesus holds out. The end is coming. And the only way to be in right relationship with God is to trust in this Son of Man. How easy it is for the pleasures of life to become dangerous comforts for us. To force us into being apathetic and complacent. Jesus earlier told a parable of seeds that were sown. And they were sown in different parts of the ground. There was the, on the path and the, the kind of rocky ground and amongst the weeds and in, in the solid ground. And the reality is the one that fell amongst the weeds, it grew for a bit. It looked great. It's like, whoa, this is growing. This is great. And then the weeds grew up and choked it out. Do not be distracted, says Jesus. Do not move your eyes from the reality that he is coming back. The Son of Man is returning with the full authority of God, and he ushers in God's kingdom forever. And that is the only kingdom that will exist. The question that determines the rest of eternity for you and for me is this. Who will you trust? Will you trust your own view of what life's about? Your own view of when the end is coming and how we live? Or will you trust the one that's fulfilled so many promises throughout so much time? The one who knows when the end of the temple is coming, who knows when his death is coming and sees that he is the answer to all of that. Who will you trust? Who will you let determine the choices that you make in your life? Jesus tells us, do not be deceived. Do not be discouraged. Do not be distracted. 
for the Son of Man is coming back to bring in his kingdom. Are you right with that Son of Man? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much this evening that you have given us a moment of clarity on what matters matter. As we sit here this evening, you have made clear to us the reality that the end is coming. That Jesus' death and the destruction of the temple were all precursors of the greater bank to come of the end of life. And so we pray that you would capture us. You would show us how great Jesus is as the Son of Man, as the one who brings in the kingdom, as the one who has died in our place so that we can be forgiven. We admit that so often we're distracted. We're pulled aside by the things of this world that we love to kind of enjoy and look at and we forget what's going on. Father, we ask you would help us to not be deceived, to not be distracted from these things that pull us aside. And we ask that you would focus our eyes on your Son in all that we do. In his name we pray. Amen.